Well, good morning, Obey Joyful Church. Certainly good to be with you. Uh, wow, I, I don't know, is this the fifth or sixth of these that we've done? Maybe the sixth, wow. Um, and hey, we're just going to keep on going. We're just, we're excited to have any privilege to share the word and to talk about Jesus and to sing to him and pray together. So we are glad that uh, we do it this way. This is how it is right now. So let's just enjoy it. Uh, welcome to everyone who's out there watching online. Uh, just fun to see all those names pop up on the screen. We just uh, can't say enough about how, how great it is to know that you're there. Uh, let me throw out a little question for you if you want to post something. I wonder what it is that's been giving you hope. What's something that has uh, pointed you to Jesus or giving you some, some kind of confidence in this time that we're in? Just post that stuff up there as, as we're going through this morning. Okay. We are coming close to the end of our series in 1 Corinthians. This is the next to the last message. And after this, we're going to start a new series we've been planning for quite a while. We're going to be looking at the prophets, and not all of them, but many of them. And as we go through, we're, we're going to call this series Disruption. And then, uh, what's the tagline, Tyler? Oh, uh, uh, stable God, God, Unstable Times, or Unstable World. So, uh, Yeah, so we're going to see how these prophets who are in very difficult situations tried to follow God, and uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out. God clearly had this uh, prepared for us in the future, so we're looking forward to going through that with you. We'll start in a couple weeks. Uh, But today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50 and through 58. Uh, Before we get to it, though, I want to share with you a story that I heard when I was in high school. I was at church. Uh, In Northwest Bible Church, I used to go there on my own. My family went to a different place, and I went there, and the the pastor there was a a real big part of my spiritual development. But we had a guest speaker this time. His name was Don Sanukian, and some of you Dallas people will know who that guy is. And Don Sanukian told this story, and I have never forgotten it. I didn't forget it. It's always stuck with me. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm going to share it with you. It's, uh, It's pretty simple. It's about two boys that were basketball players, and they were selling their, uh, raising money in the fall for their season. So it's September, it's hot, and they're out selling magazine subscriptions in their neighborhood. So they've got this big section of their small town set out, and they're hiking through it, and they spend the whole day and have had very little luck. It's just been an incredibly discouraging time. And one of the boys is a senior, so he's finishing his high school career, and the other one's a freshman, and they've been split up that way. Uh, so one can sort of mentor the other. And they get to the end, it's five o'clock, it's time to quit, they'd agreed, you know. And they're at the edge of town, and, and you can imagine this uh, setting probably, you know, the neighborhoods, and then the little road sort of reaches out, out of town, and there's a driveway up ahead. And that driveway, you can see, goes way on up. It's going to be a 20-minute walk, and there's a house way out there. So it's five, they're, like I said, they're burning hot, they've had no luck, they're discouraged, and the younger one's like, I bet you want to go to that house, right? And the older guy's like, yeah, I think I do. And the younger one's like, you know, it's not going to matter. We've already, it's, we've been through this. It's not going to matter. He's like, no, I think we should go. No, we, you know, it's hot. We're done. We can, we, this isn't working. Nothing's going to happen. We're going to get out there. We're going to knock. There, nobody's going to be home. We're going to turn around and come back. So they go back and forth. And finally, the, uh, the older guy prevails. So they're going to go. And I've, I've wrestled this week with whether I was going to tell you the rest of the story now or tell you the rest of the story in a little bit. 
And so this morning, I came to the conclusion I'd go ahead and tell you. Now, they, they walk up the road. It takes a good 20 minutes to get there. It's burning hot, you know, that evening sun. And they get to the house, and they knock. And the door opens, and they go through their spiel. They present this, you know, the need, and they want to sell these magazine subscriptions. And the guy at the door says, well, how many do you need to finish your goal? How many sales do you need to finish your goal? And they explain to him that they've had a hard time and they've got a long way to go. And he just finishes it off. He just buys a whole bunch of subscriptions from them. And the older guy looks at the younger one, the younger one, the older, and they're just amazed. They're just blown away and they're so excited. And he brings out some lemonade and they sit on the porch and the rocking chairs and the breeze is blowing under there. And it's just a great ending to a really hard day. And so they're walking back down the road, and it's, you know, 5.45, 6 p.m., and the younger guy looks at the older one, and the older one's smiling a little bit, and uh, he says, he says, why did you make us go up this road? And the, the older guy says, uh, well, every year I get to this point, and it's never going well, and I go to his house, and every year he buys the rest of the subscriptions to finish this off. He knew the end of the story, right? Knowing the end of the story helps us decide how to write the story up until the ending. And that's really what this message is about today. Paul's going to tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 that without the sacrifice of Christ for us, that we would be helpless, separated from God forever, and there would be nothing that we could do in order to bridge that gap, that the end of the story would be terrible, but instead the end of the story, by faith, can be a beautiful thing. So here is the main point. We know the end of the story. So you and I, who are believers in Christ, are free to write our story with the end in mind, to write a beautiful story of following Jesus. And so as we're uh, progressing through the passage, I just want to encourage you, think about the story that you are writing with your life, with the knowledge that you have of what is coming at the end. So look at what Paul suggests. This is the end, this is where we're going at the end of today, in verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, and so in light of what you know about the end, everyone, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's where we're headed. Three points. This is what we need to know in order to write the story. One, there is an axiom, there's a truth that we have to start with. Second, there's a mystery. And third, there's action. So axiom, mystery, and action. And I promise I looked for an A word that was the same thing as mystery, and I couldn't find it. So anyway, it's axiom, mystery, and action, AMA. Uh, So let's start with the axiom. Axiom, an axiom is a foundational truth, right? So here it is, and it's a hard one. This is in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 
Uh, this is a hard truth, and I want to break it up a little bit uh, into three little parts. Uh, life carries on beyond death. The scripture is full of that instruction for us. We are all sojourners here. That's one thing. Second thing, there is a kingdom of God. There is something after death that not all of us, not all humans will be a part of. But those who've come to faith in Jesus Christ in relationship with God will be a part of. So first part of the axiom, there is life beyond death, that we're sojourners. The second part is that there's a kingdom after this. It is the kingdom of God that not all people will be a part of, unfortunately. And the third part is this. You and I cannot get there on our own. We will all experience death, but not all will experience relationship with God on the other side. Now, I mean, I I have to stop there for a sec because... uh, I don't want to just run by that like it's, it's just a, a fact and, and just get used to it. Um, this is the hard part of the gospel. Um, so I, I, uh, I just want to, I want to acknowledge that um, and say that it's okay to wrestle with it. And uh, I, just, I just don't want to come across as, as saying that it's just an easy thing and just just know this, but anyway, this is what the scripture tells us. See, we want to believe, in contrast to that, that people can be good enough. There's this, this classic idea that we have that there's something we can do to merit God's favor. That, uh, well, I'm, I'm a good person, or, or there's such, so-and-so is such a good person. It makes sense, right? But it refuses to recognize the axiom. And in Romans 3.10, Paul says this, no one is righteous, not one. No one is righteous. It's not a puzzle that we solve. It's not a challenge that we press through or a lock that we figure out how to open. It's not a prize that we can win. He just says it very clearly. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. We cannot make it right. The Bible is clear in Ephesians 2.1. He says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And uh, as we've talked about before, dead means dead. Dead things cannot do things. So when we suggest that someone who is spiritually dead can earn their way to God, there's something that can be done. There's a lock that can be picked. There's some pleasing that can happen. We've understood the reality of the axiom that we're starting with. It's the hard news of the gospel. So we have this axiom. We have a mystery. And that's the second part. And this mystery means, means this. One, we can't fully understand how this uh, truth that we're going to... Let me say it this way. The mystery is a truth. And the mystery is something that we cannot fully understand, that we accept by faith. And here's what that mystery is. By faith, we are made alive in Christ, both now and in the future. This is this incredible mystery that Paul's been talking about the entire uh, part of chapter, uh, the entire, uh, uh, for the entire chapter 15, sorry. By faith, we are made alive with him now and in the future. Look at it with me, uh, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you this mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Now, that is a passage that needs some unpacking. And this is one of those, uh, those messages where I, I work on it and I, it's kind of like I open this uh, package that I get from UPS and I dig in there. I'm like, I know exactly what I'm going to get out of this box. I'm sure what's down in there. And when I get to the end and it's Sunday morning and I'm coming here to talk to all of you, I realize all I've pulled out is the wrapping paper, the stuffing and that plastic stuff. I haven't even really gotten down to the bottom. There's so much in this. I want to encourage you to go back and look at it yourself. But let me just try to explain just a touch. First, remember, Paul is talking to believers. He's talking to people who have put their faith in Christ to find relationship with God. Second, in verse 50, he says, we're dead, but we're made alive. So what does that mean? We, what, is he talking about death at the end of life? Well, yes. Is he talking about death that we experience spiritually until he makes us alive in him during our sojourn on the earth? How does this all come together? How do we become alive again? What about people who don't know Christ? How does this work out? If they're dead and they become dead again, are they brought to life again? What's the spiritual reality that Paul is talking about? Well, there's something we need to understand. And it's a theological principle that we return to time and time again in the scripture and especially in the New Testament. And that's this, that there's a now and not yet idea. So it's kind of a folding in of all the things that Paul is trying to say. There is a sense where now we have been made alive as believers. We have uh, put off the old and the new has come. We have new life in Christ, but we're still encumbered by the sin of the past. We cannot escape the world that we live in and the sin that encumbers us. But there will be a time when we are released from that. And how that works out is what Paul's talking about. He's saying there, there's a sense of it that is now, and there's a sense of it that is not yet. But when that not yet comes, it's going to be an amazing thing. We will all be changed. People who are alive when Christ returns will be changed. Those who are dead will be changed again in some new way, which we have a hard time understanding. And that's why he says it's a mystery. I mean, what does it mean that we're changed when this new uh, uh, era of Christ's reign comes to be? And I like uh, how Paul describes it earlier in uh, 1 Corinthians. He says, it's almost like y'all were like a seed. And a seed is this small little thing, and it's almost as if it were dead. Like if you took, you know, just one of those little seeds off a pine cone, and you planted that thing, and over a series of years, it becomes this hundred-foot evergreen. You would have never imagined that that tiny little seed could turn into something like that. And he says, the transition, of, of when he's talking about resurrection, when he's talking about this new life that he's speaking of in chapter 15, is almost like that, that we go from being a tiny little seed to something like a full-grown tree. It, it's orders of magnitude beyond what we could have imagined if all we saw was the tree, I mean the seed, and all we knew was the seed. We would never imagine what it could become. And so we will be changed. In a twinkling of an eye, when the trumpet sounds, there is a change, this eternal thing that happens that... Um, is so much more than could have been expected. So let's put the axiom, the first thing we talked about, and the mystery together. The axiom is there's nothing we can do to inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot be adopted into the family of God on our own, by our own efforts. 
and the mystery. Let's put this together. The mystery is somehow Christ gives us new life both now and in the future. Okay, so Colossians 2.14 clarifies this. Such a cool passage. Jot it down right now if you can. Colossians 2.13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, this place that you could not escape, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now check this out. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What an amazing passage. Do you see how that brings these things together? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I got to go back. I'm going to read that uh, Colossians 2, 13 and 14 again. Listen with it. It brings the axiom and the mystery together. So, So look for it. The truth, the hard truth, and the hope, this mysterious hope that we have. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were helpless. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. He canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Amazing. Uh, this kind of takes me back to something that happened when I was young. I was in fourth grade, and my friend Randy and I, who lived around the corner, we were on a soccer team together. And so his dad took us to see Pele, who was going to be at uh, Texas Stadium, all right, which I think is, you know, obviously no longer there. It's just a huge uh, parking lot now. But it was the biggest thing ever when you're in fourth grade and you went to Texas Stadium. And it was this whole afternoon exhibition with all these pro soccer teams playing. And at some point, Randy and I got bored, and we went and we uh, – we, they, they'd only opened up half the stadium, right? So there were these uh, barriers blocking the other half of the stadium. And it was at night, and we crawled over those barriers, and we were going to go explore the backside. And we thought this was going to be the most fun. So we're hiking around there. And, of course, when you're a little guy, you, you think um, after you've walked a little ways, you've gone miles. And it, and it felt like that. It was totally dark over there. All the lights were out. And we just, I guess one of us had to use the restroom. We went in one of those big bathrooms, went inside, and we were ready to leave. We're going to the door, and kunk, 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 it had locked behind us. So here we are, these two little kids. Uh, fortunately, there was a light on in the bathroom, and we're stuck in there on the other side of the stadium, and immediately we think, well, we're probably going to die in here. Um, and it was the funniest thing. Randy was a, a Jewish kid, and uh, I was not anything at that point. And uh, I remember we both got down on our knees on that bathroom floor and prayed that God would save us. (laughs) Thing was, you know, as a fourth grader, we were terrified. You know, we were panicking. Like, what are we going to do? How can we survive this? Uh, We've got no food. You know, it's going to be weeks before they have another event in Texas Stadium, to our knowledge, right? Well, uh, someone had to come and get us out. We were helpless. It was our fault that we went over there. We thought it would be great adventure. 
Someone had to get us out. And you know, eventually, and I don't even know how long it was now, someone came and opened that door. And uh, man, we bolted out of there like two rats just running. We were so (laughs) glad to be free. Um, The thing is, the mystery about this is, you know, we were sort of accidentally saved by somebody who came in and, and released us, right? And of course, we prayed for that. But the mystery here is that God would find us, though we were unworthy, yet still somehow worthy of a sacrifice, such that it was nailing his son to the cross. He released us with the gift of his own body, with his own life. And he went beyond that and he gave us adoption into his family and provided us with confidence that at the end we know what is going to happen, just like we sang about earlier. There is victory at the end. There is a new beginning both now and in the future. So there is this axiom, this hard truth, there's this mystery. But both of those have this result at the end and that result is action. Since the end is known, what is the result? What's going to happen in the interim? That's the question for us. And Paul says, as we read earlier in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This could be called... uh, something that Paul does is he he goes from eschatology to ethics. And what that means is he looks at the end times as revealed to us by Scripture and by Jesus Christ himself to Paul. And he says, all right, in light of that eschatology, in light of what we're looking forward to, what do we have? What what does that result in? What are the ethics of our life? What does our life look like going then forward with that knowledge? And he says this, he says, be steadfast in faith. Be immovable or utterly confident in Jesus. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. What I want to do is is I'm going to read a passage to you, another one from Colossians chapter 3. This is so cool how it all ties in. And I want you to look at this principle that you've learned, the now and not yet. I want you to think about that. There's some sense in which God is doing things now and not yet, but they're similar things. And then this idea of eschatology to ethics, knowing what is in the future informs how we act in the present. So both of these things are going to be in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Check it out. If then, or since, you have been raised with Christ, since you've been, your sins have been nailed to the cross, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you see how that brings all of it together? That's what I'm telling you. When you dig further into Scripture, you just keep finding things that blow you away. So there's an axiom, this hard truth. There's this unbelievable mystery that our sin has been nailed to the cross. 
And then there's action that results because what we know the future brings. We know the ending. When life is uncertain, disrupted, and hopeless, and it seems like no good news is going to arrive, people, we know the ending. So lean into writing a beautiful story with Jesus, abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul closes with these words. He says, hey, people, you're, and it's kind of churchy the way they translate it. It says, your toil will not be in vain. Well, I want to retranslate that and close with this. Follow Jesus. It will be worth it. Follow Jesus. It will be worth it. Y'all have a great week.